Hello and welcome to the Benedettiville podcast. My name is Blue. Uh, you may remember me from such illustrious puppet interviews as Brian from the comic book store and with uh, Mr. Mushroom. Yeah, you. I like jazz a lot, but I also like introducing things. I love introducing the podcast. Hey, I really like being a part of this podcast. Hey, if you like it and you want to be a part of things, just drop us a line, mail at benedettiville.com. I sure don't know how to spell that, but if you can find some uh, grown-up out there that speaks Italian, I bet they'll get it for you. Feel free to write a Raven review on iTunes. That always helps us out. And then uh, if you got too much extra money in your pocket and you don't know what to do with it, Head on over to patreon.com backslash Benedettiville and you can give it all to us so that we can make better radio shows and all sorts of other great stuff. All right. Hey, enough from me. Let's get on with the podcast. See you later. Welcome back to Benedettiville. It is so good to be back with you guys on the radio. I'm finally home from the Australian travels, and we have an amazing show all lined up for you today. Yeah, we have the conclusion to the exciting adventures of Princess Harmony. We do. And we have some great white news hailing from our friends up north in Canada. Hey. And we're going to bring it all to you right after this message from our sponsor. Hi, I'm Helga, owner and proprietor of Helga's Giant Tailoring for Giants. I got tired of smashing my way into department stores and asking for a size 50 dress. And I could never buy my husband's jeans with a 160 inch waist and a 175 inch inseam. They just never had them. It doesn't matter how many towns and cities we stomped through, how many roofs we ripped off, and how many terrified, cowering department store clerks we bellowed out with our questions. The fact of the matter is, humans just don't make clothes for giants. So, I said, if those tiny, silly little humans won't take care of us, you just have to do it yourself. 
And so that's what I did. I got some helicopter blade scissors and a harpoon needle, and I've been sewing away ever since. And now, giants from all over the seven worlds come to my shop for nice-fitting, roomy, absolutely gigantic clothing. So before you head out and demolish a city block looking for a new dress, come see me, Helga, Giant Taylor for Giants, and I'll make sure you're taken care of in a way that a giant should be. Look, I know most commercials are supposed to be people getting you to buy things, but that's where this one is different. I'm talking very fast, not because I'm a salesman or any type of commercial voice actor trying to get you to buy something, but rather because a wicked witch has put a curse on me, and now I can only talk constantly and extremely quickly while playing this accursed banjo. If you are listening to this, please don't buy anything at all. Just break this terrible and extraordinarily annoying curse. I cannot stop talking, and I cannot slow down. Everything I say is like this, and it is driving my family, my friends, and myself totally crazy. The curse can be broken if you bring the feathers of an eagle, a sparrow, and a crow to the crossing of the north and west winds. Say my name, Herbert Friendswinkle, three times forward, three times backwards. That's Elksness, Snef, Trebra, and then snap your fingers. Please help me break the curse. See, now I'm done saying everything that I needed to say, but I still can't stop talking or slow down. It's a curse, I tell you, and I'm so tired of hearing this banjo music, I could go the rest of my life without hearing another note on the banjo. It's terrible, and when I run out of things to say, the curse just starts saying nonsense. Things like, yes, the sponges float the burbles merrily on the high seas of York, and the pudding shelves need dusting, wouldn't you say, Mrs. Featherbottom, and all sorts of other random things like that. Welcome to the Great White News. Roland is here today to talk about all the mountains in the Canadian Rockies. Roland, which mountains have you climbed? Rundle and Sulphur. Rundle and Sulphur Mountains. Did you climb Tunnel Mountain? Yeah. Which mountain is the biggest mountain? That one. That one. Cascade. Cascade, that's right. What's your favorite mountain? What do the mountains have on them right now? Trains. Trains? Yeah. Do they have snow on the mountains? Yeah. How much snow? Five. Five snows? Yeah. Are the mountains pretty? Yeah. Are they fun to climb? Yeah. What else do you like about mountains? Roland, <clears throat> when it's cold outside, what do you wear to stay warm? Jacket, coat, mittens, boots. Does that keep you warm? Yeah. I've heard when it's cold outside, you also wear something on your head. Hat. What kind of a hat do you wear? Motorcycle. A motorcycle hat? Motorcycle. Good job, buddy. That's in Russian, huh? Yeah, You are a smart little kid. All right, Ron, anything else you want to say to the kids in California? Bye. Can you say goodbye to everybody in California? Bye. Goodbye. Welcome home, Rocco. Man, it is good to be home. How you doing, bud? Oh, whoa, Gio. I got to tell you, bro. I am not doing so good, man. I am so tired right now. I don't know what time it is. I don't know when I should be awake, when I should be asleep. Everything is totally 
crazy as far as when the sun's going up, going down, and when my body is getting tired. Is that at all happening for you? Because it's killing me, bro. Oh, I completely understand. Rocco, that is called jet lag. The time is different over there. Because it's in a different part of the world, Australia is in the southern hemisphere, and it's so much further west than we are, that their sun comes up and their sun goes down at a totally different time than we're used to over here in California. Oh, Gio, that doesn't make any sense, bro. I mean, the sun goes up in the morning, and it goes down at night, just like it does here. I don't, maybe it's just because I, like, haven't slept, like, more than an hour at a time, and I feel a little bit crazy, but you're making no sense, man. Uh, like, maybe try explaining it, but, like, as though you were talking to a puppet who was, like, totally out of it, you know? They're actually, let me check my phone here. They are actually 18 hours ahead of our time over here. So right now, it's around 3 o'clock in the afternoon on Sunday. But if you're in Australia listening to this, for you, it's 9 a.m. on Monday, tomorrow. Australia lives in the future, bro. Dude, we're like total time travelers, man. I... No wonder, like, my head's all this way and that way. I had no idea that on that plane flight we were traveling through time. Well, Rocco, they don't actually, like, live in the future. Our time is happening at the same time. But for them, their calendar says Monday, 9 a.m., even though ours just says Sunday, 3 p.m. Does that make any sense? Uh, Yeah, it makes total sense. And... Uh, clearly, we're time travelers, bro. If somebody's calendar says Monday and we go back to Sunday? And do you mean that we are broadcasting across time and space into the future to Australia on the radio right now? Dude, jet lag nothing, man. This is like breaking the walls of time. I mean, it's cool to be the greatest bass player in all the puppet lands, but like... Now I am Rocco Blastorius, greatest puppet bass player ever and time traveler. Yeah, I guess I guess you can say that now. Well done, buddy. Hey, what was your favorite part of the trip? Well, Gio, I guess my favorite part of the trip to Australia where we traveled through time was like, you know, meeting great people. People in Australia are awesome. Also, they have a really beautiful accent. And it's really funny to listen to. Uh, I really like going surfing and getting to play some music with folks. Also, I think we've been over this. The coffee and the pies. Oh, Australia, your coffee and pies. Yeah, wow. They did have amazing coffee and pies. Well, now that we're home, anything that you're really looking forward to now that we're back in Petaluma? Yeah, dude, I gotta get a band together so that I can do On Stage with Jim and Tom. We mentioned that a few episodes ago, you know, so I gotta get on that. Also, we're back in Petaluma. We've got phenomenal pie and coffee as well, so I'm looking forward to getting back into that scene. Really, the only two things I won't be able to do here are hear Australian accents all the time and go surfing, because it's like cold out there, bro. I don't surf in cold water. And you know what, dude? Whenever I'm missing Australia, I'm just going to slap a little Vegemite on my toast and have myself a Vegemite sandwich. 
Because, like, I totally brought back Vegemite, man. This stuff's so good. Oh, great, man. I love Vegemite. I'm going to borrow some of your Vegemite. I think it's about time to get on to the next thing. So, uh, hey, go off and get some rest, all right, bud? Shake off that jet lag. Dude, it's not jet lag. It's time lag. We traveled through time. And uh, yeah, I don't even know if I can shake it off, man. You say go on to the next thing. Like, what is the next thing? Do I take a nap? Do I have some more coffee? I don't even know. My mind is a whir. Lost in the time eddies of space. But like, yeah. Yeah, I mean like, on to the next thing. Totally. Why don't you step inside? Here's where I keep my armor And here's the dragon that I ride It's pretty tall so we built a super twisty tower slide Why don't you step inside? To my empty box Talking about my empty 
the crossroads of the north and west winds is, and then they'll ask me about it, but I certainly don't have any idea, or I would have taken the feathers there myself already, but I haven't, because it is extraordinarily difficult to find those three feathers, which is why I've taken to these radio airwaves in the hopes that some feather-collecting wind watcher will hear my plea and be able to undo this curse. Things have gotten so bad that I have been forced to sleep in a small shed in my backyard, because apparently, even when I'm sleeping, the banjo music and constant talking won't stop. Why, we were invited to my cousin's wedding last weekend, and they kicked me out because I couldn't stop strumming this infernal banjo and talking quickly and loudly during the entirety of their very beautiful wedding ceremony. This curse, while not life-threatening, is terrible, terrible, I tell you, and I am asking and begging for help, even though you'd never know it from the sound of my voice. You probably still think I'm trying to sell you something, but you must believe me, I am not. This is, in fact, a very terrible curse, and I am begging and pleading. All right. Now, you guys know the rules of a freeze dance. No. You can only dance when the music is playing. When the music stops, you have to freeze. Princess Harmony, la 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 la. Ellie and Elias are not here today. Yeah, sorry folks, cousins couldn't be here today. But we are here bringing Princess Harmony and the Quest for Music, the last episode. The final episode, part eight, the grand conclusion. How do you feel about that, Emmy? Good. Yeah? Have you liked the story so far? Yeah. Okay. Well, can we do a brief overview and tell people what the story is about? Emmy, can you try and tell people what the story is about? Um, it's about a girl named Princess Harmony. Yeah, and what is, what is, what is her quest all about? Why is she on a quest? To find music. What happened to music? Where did she come from where they didn't have music? The Kingdom of Silence. Yeah, and they don't have any music there. So she found a magic map, and she has been finding all of the what? Do you remember what she's been finding? My magic. Yeah, she's been finding the magic. And Stella? 
Well, sorry, but I'm gonna gonna correct you because Mother Melody found the map and then gave it to Princess Harmony. Fair enough. So. That's true, folks. Mother Melody found the map and gave it to Princess Harmony. And then what have they been finding one by well, one? They've been finding the notes of the Great Scale. But that's it, right? Up to this episode, that's all that they've found. And there's well, yeah. There's one more note. And so when we left off, where did we leave off? So we left off when they had just found Lawfire and they were sleeping and going like this. She was asleep, but where was she sleeping? Do you guys remember? Yeah, she was sleeping in a big treehouse. In whose village? Do you remember what the the village was? The Elven Village. Elven Village. The Village of the Elves. And so our last and final episode will begin... With Princess Harmony, with waking six, up. waking up, but she has six of seven notes of the Great Scale, mm-hmm. and she's waking up where? At the gnomes. Yeah. Or elves. 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 Yeah, yeah. The elven village. And now here's the final episode. We're bringing you Princess Harmony and the quest for music. Yeah. Princess Harmony awoke in a panic to the shouts and cries from the elf village below her treehouse bed. Gloom cloaks! Gloom cloaks! came the calls and the cries. Rux and Falia were awake too now, and for a moment the fear and worry and gloom all around them became overwhelming. Just then, King Ladros of the elven village strode through the door. Quickly, follow me, he said. Harmony gathered her things and raced out the door, following the king who was already headed across the rope bridges that crisscrossed the forest in the Valley of the Elves. When they'd caught up to the elven king, Princess Harmony was finally able to speak to him. What happened? Are there gloom cloaks? We can help. We gotta go back. No, princess, said the king, without slowing his quick pace across bridges and up ladders and over branches and on through the forest. We can handle the gloom cloaks. They've come looking for you. There are so many of them. The cacophonix must have sensed the great music you wielded yesterday and sent them. Well then, I gotta go back and stop them, Princess Harmony insisted. No, child, Ladro said. It would be a disaster should they capture you and the notes of the great scale. But then, where are we going? Asked the princess, struggling to keep pace with the nimble elf king. I will take you out of our valley to the edge of the Silent Lands, the land of the Cacophonix. What? Harmony squeaked. But I thought, I thought we were trying to make sure I didn't get captured. The king slowed as they came to a small landing built high on a scraggly tree at the edge of the valley forest. We are, princess, we are. Please, take a look at your map. The dawn sunlight was just beginning to peer through the tree branches as Harmony unrolled the map. The number seven was not there. But where, where is it? Harmony asked in disbelief. Have we missed something? Did I do something wrong? The number seven would tell us where the seventh note of the great scale is. It's got to be here somewhere. No, 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 the king replied. You've done nothing wrong. It's just that the seventh note is held in a place that is hidden even from the powerful magic of your map. No, gasped Ruxapold. It couldn't be there. Oh, but it could be, 
interrupted King Ladros. And it is. Tiara, the leader's crown, the note to complete the great scale, the end that is the beginning, rests upon the bald head of the cacophonix itself. No, said Princess Harmony. No, said Falia. I'm afraid so, said King Ladros. But we have a great hope. The cacophonix's entire army of noise goblins is gone, hunting for Lawfire, and returning, even though they don't know it yet, with a fake. And his gloom cloaks are battling us in our valley, which means that the Shadow Tower, the Cacophonix's home, should be empty of his rotten mischief makers, and you should be able to find him without too much trouble. Too much trouble? hooted Ruxipul. Just go to the Shadow Tower and pull the old tiara, the leader's crown, off old Cacophonix's head, hmm? Not more trouble than that? Is that what you're saying? The king laughed. <laughs> you three have already done the impossible many times over. I have faith in you. The entire old forest has faith in you. You can do it. You are strong, brave, and powerful musicians, and more importantly, you are friends. The Cacophonix's greatest weapons are greed, jealousy, and fear. So long as you stay together and don't give in to his mean tricks, you will succeed. King Ladros pointed on the map. There is the Shadow Tower, and you are here right now. You should be to the tower by nightfall if you move quickly. I've brought supplies for everyone. Now, good luck, musicians. I must get back. My people need me. And after some hasty hugs and goodbyes, our three musical friends, bearing the notes of the great scale, stared out at the bleak, scraggly view of the Silent Lands, the home of the Cacophonix. Ruxapold, looking worried, turned to Princess Harmony. Princess, how do you feel? Are you ready? Her response was a great big, warm, squeezy hug. Let's stick close, okay, Rux, Falia? I know we can do it. I'm just a little nervous is all. And quite natural, Falia said, nuzzling up to Harmony's chin. Musicians, I heard, would always get nervous before they undertook important music making. It will help you. It will excite you. Don't avoid your nerves. You must only avoid being afraid. Princess Harmony straightened up. She clasped so spun around her neck. She checked the bowstring of Lawfire. She adjusted Meeglass on her belt and drew forth Raybright. She smiled at her friends. I'm not afraid, she said, smiling, her eyes twinkling. I'm nervous and I'm excited, but I'm not afraid. Now, let's go. She sheathed Raybright and climbed down the tree to the gray, desolate land below. The silent lands were just that, silent. It was very unsettling. Their footsteps, even heavy stomping, made no sound. When they tried to speak to each other, their lips or whiskers or beak would move, but they couldn't hear what the other people were saying. Their clothes or wings or fur didn't rustle. There was no sound of wind or rustling bushes. There were also no bushes. No sound of birds or insects or scurrying creatures. Just total, heavy, thick silence swirling over the rocky, dusty trails that crisscrossed the gloomy terrain. The gloomy landscape seemed to stretch on forever. Even though they checked the map often and walked as quickly as they could, it had been hours and they were getting no closer. The rocks all looked the same. The dusty paths looked the same. Everything looked silent and similar and very dangerously like they had been by it before. They looked at each other. They were 
definitely lost in the never-ending dust and gloom of the Silent Lands. Princess Harmony motioned for them to stop. She knew she couldn't say a spell out loud. She was in the Silent Lands, after all. But she discovered she could still imagine notes and songs and spells in her head. Deep in her heart and in her own head, she thought of her old forest friends, thought of the map and of the notes, and she began humming. The map quivered in her hands. A gold sparkling mist appeared above the map while she looked, and when the sparkling mist went away, a new path, shining gold, remained on the map. Harmony smiled at her friends. She winked, and following the new map trail, they stepped off of the dusty paths. They walked for some time until, following the map's magic trail, they stopped before a large gray boulder. There, scratched deep into the rock, were three shapes, a handprint, a bird claw print, and a mouse paw print. The three musicians looked at each other and smiled. Then they stretched out a hand, a claw, and a paw and set it into the rock carving. It was a perfect fit. Blue light shone through their fingers and paws and a large piece of rock slid away to reveal a tunnel and some stairs. And in they went. The rock slid quietly shut behind them and then sound, the scuffing of their feet, the rustle of their bags and packs and wings. Ah, sighed Falia, sound, sweet, sweet sound. It is nice, isn't it? Came a voice from down in the tunnel. Who's there? Harmony asked, bringing her glowing sword ray bright up before, for it was very dark in the rock tunnel. Oh, it is just me, old Grandfather Mole, blind and old, but keeping my promised watch. The moles, said Falia, but we thought that all the moles left the old forest years ago. Well, that's because we did, said Grandfather Mole, and here we came to these wretched silent lands, and we got down to work. For we knew that this day would come. It is a story that all of us moles know, taught to us by our ancient great-great-great-grandparents. It's a poem. It goes like this. Keep the watch. Light the lights. Times are dark, but hope is bright. On we dig. Make straight the path for music to return at last. Outer silence, inner sound, here we wait within the ground. Keep the watch and light the way, and music will return one day. And so, here I am, the old mole said. And here are the lights. And with a bit of a scuffle and effort, a row of soft lights appeared in the walls of the earth, leading down a beautiful, well-carved dirt tunnel. Woohoo! said Rux. Oh, thank you, kind grandfather. It is so good to see some of us old forest folk that have kept the hope of music alive still. Indeed, and thanks to you, three of you, is it? I think I heard three. For being our hope, said the old mole. Now come quickly, I can take you to the edge just outside of the shadow tower. From there, though, you'll be on your own again. But keep your whiskers twitchy. There's only one entrance to the Shadow Tower, and it is guarded by a terrible ogre who sees, hears, and smells everything. And so warned the ancient Grandfather Mole as he led the group through a fierce and endless maze of tunnels. But then my cloak, so spun, won't help, even if we're invisible, Harmony said. 
We'll find a way, princess, Falia squeaked. We always do. Don't lose heart. And they continued walking, with the mole in the lead, never hesitating to take the correct path through the maze. At last, Grandfather Mole stopped by a stairway that wound up and up and out of sight. It has been an honor for me to guide you here, musician, he said solemnly. Oh, thank you so very much, Harmony replied. You were there for us just in our moment of need, and I'll never forget it. Harmony kissed Grandfather Mole right on the nose, and he smiled, and his little face got red. Oh, go on now, he muttered gruffly, and come back when you've finished with old noisy pants up there. I'll have the tea and biscuits waiting. Just make sure you come back now. And he gave Harmony a gentle push towards the stairs. The stairs wound up and up and up and up until, as they stepped on the final step, they felt the stair move beneath their feet, heard a click, and the rocks before them swung open. There, black against the evening sky, loomed the shadow tower. It was huge and dark and threatening, and it wasn't very straight either, and the spiky points and spires and crooked stonework made the tower seem even more spooky in the evening dusk. Looking past the rocks and dusty hills that hid them and stood between them and the tower, they could see the gate of the tower and the shadowy figure of the ogre standing guard. It was huge, with ears as big as an elephant's and a nose that seemed to cover its whole face. It had at least five eyes, maybe more, a bunch of arms, and it carried a huge spiked club over one of its massive shoulders. Princess Harmony shuddered. There has got to be another way in, she whispered to Folly and Rux. I don't want to get any closer to that ogre. Good idea, Rux whispered back. Let's circle around the tower. Maybe we'll see something, Folia squeaked ever so quietly. And so, carefully, cautiously, doing their best to stay out of sight and silent, the three friends inched their way around the tower. It was very tall and full of crooks and juts and spikes, but they couldn't see any other entrance. Harmony was beginning to grow worried that they would circle all the way back around to the ogre without finding anything, when Falia piped up. There, there, look up there. Harmony looked, and there, far, far, far above them, there was a tiny pinprick of orange light. It must be an open window, Falia squeaked. Mm, but it's so high up. I could fly in, but how will you get in, princess? Our rope isn't nearly long enough, Ruxapold said. Hmm, I have an idea, Harmony said, her eyes shining with excitement, like they always did when she was busy thinking up great ideas. We're on the opposite side of the tower from that ogre, so it's our best chance. I'll have to use magic, though, she said, but it's the only way. We trust you, musician, said Falia. And I love your plans, Rux said. Well, here goes then, said Harmony. Rux, be ready to follow me, and Falia, hang on tight. And she pulled the magic bow Lawfire the Truth Seeker off her back. With it in her hands, she could hear the bow's note clearly in her body and her ear, and she began to hum along. As she hummed, she imagined the shot that she wanted to make with the bow and the magic that she would need. As she hummed and imagined, an arrow of soft green magical light appeared on the bow. Princess Harmony focused on the shot and on what she needed the arrow to do. She drew back the bowstring, aimed, and fired. 
The green shining arrow shot from the boat and left a trail, a shiny green ribbon of magical light through the sky. The arrow sank deeply into the stone above the lonely window with no sound at all. Then Harmony whispered as loud as she dared, Get ready, Rux. Hang on, Falia. And the ribbon of light that marked the path of the arrow began to glow. And then it began to pull the bow, held firmly by Harmony, towards the arrow. Like a rocket, Princess Harmony and Falia, who was holding tightly to Harmony, were pulled off of their feet and reeled in like a long, shiny fishing line towards the arrow. Rux took off and hurried to keep up. They slowed as they came closer and closer to the tower, the magic ribbon still pulling them in around the jutting spikes and spires. In a flash, they found themselves through the window, landing softly on a thick carpet in a large room high, high in the shadow tower. They were in. Harmony looked around her. The room they were in was large. The ceiling stretched into the darkness above them. There was a closed wooden door opposite the window, and every other inch of wall was covered with books, scrolls, and pieces of loose paper. The floor was, too. Stacks of books piled higher than Princess Harmony, and papers everywhere. She cautiously opened the book nearest her. It was filled with music. Symbols of Do, Re, Mi, Fa, So, La, and other symbols that she'd never even seen before. Pages and pages of notes arranged and written down in ways more complicated and intricate and beautiful than she'd ever imagined music could be. She opened another book and another, picked up page after page, all spells, all music. This is it, Ruxapold whispered gravely, all of the music, all of the spells that have ever been written or played or sung. The cacophonix has stolen them all. They're all here. Maybe there's a spell here that will defeat him, Princess Harmony said hopefully, running from shelf to shelf, from book to book, paper to paper. Come on, you two, let's look. Falia cleared her throat. Princess, she said, there may be such a spell here, but it would be a lifetime of searching. And we still don't have Tiara, the leader's crown, the seventh note. We must move on, on up the tower and find and face the cacophonix with what we have. Princess Harmony looked at the bookshelves, filled all around her. She looked at the scrolls and papers, strewn about, and she sighed. You're right, Falia. Let's get going. They creaked the door open and peered out. The door opened onto a small platform, a landing in a dizzyingly high spiral staircase. It reached down to the floor of the tower, far below, and above them it stretched up still farther. Up we go! Harmony said. They climbed and climbed without any incident. Their eyes and ears were keen for any noise or movement, but it was only their footsteps echoing in the cold stone insides of the tower that they heard. After much climbing, they reached another door on another landing. They stopped and cautiously tried the door. It swung open to reveal a room very similar to the Room of Spells. But in this room, Instead of books and parchments and scrolls lining the floors and shelves, there were devices. Devices with strings, devices with buttons, with valves and slides and notes and keys and bells and tubes and so many shapes and sizes and styles of strange devices that Princess Harmony could only look and stare in wonder. Instruments, Falia squeaked. Musical instruments, she said in awe and delight. 
Oh, guitars and pianos and trombones. Oh, look, an accordion. Drums, trumpets, oboes, zithers, ouds, lyres, harps, sitars, and choras. They're all here, Ruck said happily. There must be enough instruments for the entire old forest ten times over. Well, what are they for? asked Harmony finally. They make music, princess, Folia whispered in her ear. Just as you can sing notes yourself, each of these instruments has its own voice. It takes a musician to use the instrument properly, but each one of them is capable of the most beautiful, wonderful music of its own. Yes, and they are mine, all mine, said a chilling voice behind them. They all whirled around, and there, looming in the doorway, stood the cacophonics. It was very terrible looking. It towered above Princess Harmony, at least three times her height. Its head was deep red and bald like a vulture's, with a long, mean-looking hooked beak and black beady eyes. It had horns that stood back on its vulture head, and great black feathered wings that ended in hooked three-fingered claws. Its body was covered in a heavy black cloak, and on its head it wore a shining silver tiara. The instruments are mine. The notes are mine. Music is mine. It hissed at them. It stepped closer to Princess Harmony as Falia and Ruxapold huddled against her, the animals overcome with fear. Princess Harmony was nervous, and she was anxious, but she was not afraid. Music is not yours, she said firmly and clearly. It's not mine. It's not anybody's. It is wonderful and beautiful and powerful, and you can't lock it up, and you cannot steal it. But I can, tiny child, the cacophonic said, smiling a very mean and ugly smile. I can, and I did, and I shall again. And it began to chant at Princess Harmony, a squawky, terrible, unrhyming, crooked, clunky chant. Music will be mine, yes, all the notes I will get and steal from you back to me again, and you will be in my dungeon, which is cold, and I will keep the music forever, just for me, myself, the cacophonics. It didn't rhyme. It didn't flow. It didn't feel like any music Princess Harmony had ever heard, but she could feel its power. She felt Meeglass, Raybright, and Lawfire tremble and pull against her towards the cacophonics. So spun fluttered as though a breeze was blowing it off of her shoulders. Falia and Ruxapold, too, were leaning towards the ugly cloaked bird thing. Harmony herself could feel the pull of the cacophonics's evil music, and she moved towards it a step. She thought... Why should she share the notes with anyone? Hadn't she been the one to find them? Hadn't she done all that hard work? And the cacophonics chanted, and she stepped towards it again. The awful chanting wormed into her ears, and she thought, If I share music, maybe someone will be better than me, and I should be the best forever. And the cacophonics chanted more, and she took another step towards it, and she thought, if I give these notes back to the cacophonics, they'll be safe forever, and only I will know them, and then they'd be mine, all mine, all mine. And then, interrupting her own thoughts, interrupting even the chant of the cacophonics in her ears, she heard the voice of Mother Melody. You are Princess Harmony. Your name is a powerful one, for harmony is music. It is many instruments, many voices, all combining to create a more complex, more beautiful, and wonderful sound. 
Harmony needs to be shared in order to exist. Only you, Harmony, can defeat the selfishness, the pride, and the evil of the cacophonics. The voice faded away. Harmony's eyes snapped open, and she was staring right into the greedy, beady eyes of the cacophonics. She had nearly walked right into its outstretched wings. Rux and Falia clung tight to her still as she shuffled back away from the chanting cloaked creature. She took Lawfire off of her back and slung it across Ruxapold's wings. She placed Falia on the handle of Raybright the sword. Then she grasped Meeglass with one hand and her cloak so spun with the other, and she turned to face the cacophonics. Music is yours, Harmony shouted above the cacophonics' chanting, and it's ours too. It's everyone's. See? And she held up Meeglass, and she sang, and music poured out from Falia and Raybright and from Ruxapold and Lawfire and from her own voice, and it built and echoed and resounded in the bodies of the instruments in the room. voices singing together and working together to create a sound that no single voice could make. At first it was only sound against sound, the flowing harmonies of Princess Harmony and the notes of the great scale against the dark, crooked racket of the cacophonics. But their magics were so powerful that soon it became visible gold and silver shining waves, streaks of blue and green and yellow and red from the side of the princess, pressing against a growing wall of cloudy, murky, mud-like swirling from the cacophonics. As they continued to sing, the colorful battle expanded, grew, and pressed against the walls of the great room of instruments. It built and built and grew larger and more intense and powerful as the two opposing musicians, Princess Harmony, Ruxapold, and Falia on one side, the cacophonics on the other, poured their efforts and abilities into the musical battle. The colorful walls crashed and raged against one another, growing still higher and bigger until, finally, with a deafening, thunderous roar, it exploded. Princess Harmony, Folly, and Rux were blown from their feet and fell back heavily on the stone floor. A cloud of dust and colorful smoke hung in the room. Harmony stood up and dusted off her cloaks. The smoke cleared. And there, across the room, standing in a pile of black cloak and feathers strewn about, was an old man with a long beard. The old man was touching his face, turning his hands over before his eyes, touching his arms, his legs, his cheeks, his beard, and all the while muttering and whispering, I'm me. I'm me again. I'm back. Who are you? asked Princess Harmony cautiously. The old man looked up, a radiant smile on his face. Me? Why, I'm... I am Phineas Grumblepants. Musician, composer, and, well, I suppose I became the cacophonics, or it became me. I'm very, very sorry and very grateful. 
Ruxapold and Folia joined Harmony, and the strange composer, Phineas Grumblepants, began to tell them his story. Many, many, oh so very many years ago, when all the lands were rich with music, I was a young, ambitious spell singer and composer. Music was all that I ever cared or thought about. I wanted to be the very best, you see, and that was fine. I practiced and worked all of my waking hours. But, and I don't remember how or why it happened, I began to be afraid. Afraid and jealous. Afraid and jealous that someone somewhere might be a better musician than I was. And the idea ate me up. I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. I became so jealous of other musicians and their great spells and sounds, their practicing and their working, that I began to think, well, if no one else had music, if music was mine alone, well, then I would be the only musician. I would be the best. So I started to sneak about into the musician's tower, into the academy of song spells, into the library of the high circle of the note shapers, and I began to steal the music and their instruments and their spells. And as I stole, as I bent myself to the task of stealing wonderful music, I began to change. First it was my fingers. They became these gnarled three-fingered claws, and then my arms became wings and grew feathers and on and on until the cacophonics and my greedy, evil ways had taken over everything, until even the notes of the great scale were chained up or hidden, and my body, my music, the old forest, the whole land had lost music to me, to the greedy, jealous cacophonics. Oh, how horrible, Princess Harmony whispered. Yes, yes, indeed, very horrible, atrocious and ghastly. But you, sweet, wonderful musician, you have saved me. You have sent the cacophonics back to whatever evil land it came from, and I'll never be able to thank you enough. But as a small token, I can give you uh, this here. And he rustled about in the folds of cloak and feathers at his feet, and he drew out a shining silver crown. Tiara, the leader's crown, the end which is the beginning and the seventh and last note of the great scale. I give it to you, musician. And he shuffled forward and placed the tiara on Harmony's head. The new note rippled through her head all the way to her toes. Ruxapold quivered with joy. Raybright glowed white. Meeglass trembled in her hand. Folia began to dance. Sospun swirled and swayed about her shoulders. Lafire glowed bright green. And Tiara, the leader's crown, the end that is the beginning, shone with light. And music began to pour from the notes, from the crown, from the very stones of the tower. It swirled about all of them as they stood in awe in the tower room watching as great, colorful winds of sound swirled around and through them, danced through the air, grew and built to a wonderful, heart-bursting peak of sound, and then with a whoosh and a dizzying rush of air, there was only a thrumming silence. They all stood together in the tower, every bit of their bodies tingling with musical energy. Phineas smiled 
and a tear spilled from his crinkled eye. The music is back, finally. He shook himself. And there's much to do. I have much to fix, many apologies to make, many things to make right. We must start right away. And grabbing Harmony's hand, he hurried down the stairs of the tower. We'll need help getting all these instruments back. Oh, and the spells too, he said, as they quickly reached the bottom of the staircase and the great tower gate. Phineas, Harmony called in a worried voice. The ogre, it's right outside the gate. Watch out. Oh, yes, absolutely, princess. Who better than old Big Nose, my ogre friend, to help us? And he threw the gates open wide. Harmony, Rux, and Falia watched as Phineas gave the ogre's ankle a big hug. The ogre's many eyes lit up, and he nearly knocked old Phineas over as he nuzzled the composer with his tremendous nose. Phineas introduced Urk, the ogre, to them, and then the ogre and the composer began to dash madly about, loading cart after cart after cart with all of the instruments and spells and scrolls and books from the tower. Soon, hundreds of carts were piled high with every last scrap of paper and every last string and whistle. Erg lashed them all to six big ropes, and grabbing a rope with each of his six hands, they began to walk, bringing back the notes of the great scale and all that the cacophonics had stolen, back out of the silent lands towards the old forest. Their first stop was, of course, to see Grandfather Mole. He had tea and biscuits waiting just as he'd promised, and they all laughed and cried and hugged in celebration. Next, they stopped at the Valley of the Elves, where they were met by crowds of cheering, dancing, happy elves, led by Ladriana and Ladros. The gloom cloaks, they explained over dinner to the musical travelers, had all collapsed in heaps of rags and chains when the cacophonics had been destroyed. Phineas told his story, apologized, left a bunch of instruments and spells for the elven people, and there they feasted and sang and slept. Over the next happy days, they made their way back through the old forest. Erg the ogre was very fast, even pulling all those carts, and they visited their friends, the eagles, the spiders of the silken city, the crocodiles of the Greybog swamp, their friend the river troll, the squirrel family, the monkey family, and the family of badgers, leaving behind instruments and books of music and songs and spells and their incredible story with each and every friend they met. One evening, they wearily stepped through the tree archway of the old forest and back into the tender garden of Mother Melody. She was, of course, ready and waiting for them, embraced them all, and they stayed up most of the night telling their story and sipping hot chocolate and singing songs. The next morning, they set out for the Kingdom of Silence. There was a great clamor and alarm at the castle gates when they saw the giant ogre Erg emerge from the trees, pulling hundreds of carts behind him. Princess Harmony dashed ahead of her friends through the gates and straight to the castle, and in a flash, she was deep in the arms of her very worried, confused, and relieved mother and father. The musicians and Erg and their carts were all welcomed into the kingdom, and that night the story of the cacophonics and the notes of the great scale was told at the greatest feast and party that the kingdom had ever known. All the people danced and heard music for the first time, and instruments were handed out, and great food was served, and great plans were made. The next day, the kingdom changed its name. A new flag was raised with the symbols of all seven notes of the great scale, and the kingdom would forever after be called the Kingdom of Music. 
Phineas and Ruxapold and Falia and Princess Harmony and sometimes Mother Melody when she ventured out from the forest, all became teachers at the newest school in the kingdom, the Academy for the Learning and Sharing of Music. And music was studied and taught, and great songs and spells were made, and are still being made to this very day. The love that story. Thank you guys so much for letting us share that story with you. And that's it for this episode. This is the end of Benedettiville Small Town Adventures. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you next week right here on KPCA 103.3 FM, streaming live here on the net at kpca.fm. Benedettiville is Geo, Jen, Stella, and Emmeline Benedetti. All the stories and silliness in this episode were co-created by Geo, Jen, Stella, and Emmeline. And all the music you heard is by Benedettiville. Special thanks this episode to Rob, Jared, and John down at PCA for making everything happen on the radio. Thanks, guys. And we'd like to thank our sponsors, Helga's Giant Tailoring for Giants and Fast-Talking Cursed Banjo Guy. Was he even a sponsor? I don't think so. How do you get on this show? I have no idea what's going on there. If you guys have any ideas and stories that you want to tell us, pieces of news, drop us a line at mail at benedettiville.com. We would like to thank Eliana and Elias, Stell and Emmy, for their idea for the giant tailoring for giants commercial. That was great. That was awesome. Way to go, guys. So you can find us on social media or at our website at benedettiville.com and send us your ideas. Woo-hoo. Stay tuned for the Banner Mix coming up next, and we'll see you next week. See you next week, everybody. So long. And as soon as I snapped it off its tiny gold branch, poof, it disappeared. And in place of a golden tree, there stood a foul and wicked old witch cackling away at me. And well, you can guess what she did. And so now here I am talking quickly and loudly and playing this heavy out of tune banjo everywhere I go. And all for a golden leaf. Beware golden trees in the forest is the only moral for that story that I can see. Or maybe you don't go for walks in the woods on Fridays or watch out for witches.